kids! Hope the new year hasn't got dark and miserable yet, because if it hasn't already, <laughs> it definitely will soon. Yeah. That's why we're here to cheer you up. Today, we're going to talk about monsters, fairy tales, and the inevitability of evil. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about The Witcher. Today on the show, we have the wonderful Henry Cavill. Say hi, Henry. Hello. Hello. Yes, this is Henry Cavill. <laughs> oh, wow. Henry, you sound different. Mm. It's, so, it's, it's all that acting training. <laughs> he is a great actor, to be honest. He's great as Carol. Oh, my God. So sad that he's gone. But he's moved on to... <laughs> yeah, like even with Superman, when I first heard... Henry Cavill playing Superman, a British Superman, but then when you actually see him in Man of Steel, you're like, yeah, he actually pulls it off really well. Oh my god, yeah. And ha have you seen Archer? Yes, yes. Yeah, he should play a real yeah, life version he should, of Archer. He, should, he, he should. is <laughs> made for Archer, holy cow. <laughs> he, look, he looks like his Superman looks exactly like Lord. Archer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have the high ground. Damn. There we there go. go. <laughs> find me. You know, I always got to test this out. Yeah, he does look like a um, Superman version of Archer, you know, James Bond style. But this this episode isn't about Henry Cavill, <laughs> and that's, this is not Henry Cavill on the show, this is actually Josh. I know, what a surprise. I know. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today, Josh? Oh, good, thank you. As you said, it is a bit dreary out there in, in London, but we hope it's a lot sunnier where you are. And like it's funny, my colleague who's who's in Brazil, where it's it's summer for them, and she's like on the beach enjoying herself, uh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, rub it in, why don't you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hate seeing unwarranted, unsolicited holiday photos. Yes, yes, like, yeah. check out my wonderful holiday. Look how beautiful <laughs> and pretty it is. Whilst you're just here in your misery, you know, with your soup and everything, it sucks. Damn. So, The Witcher. This mm. is going to be an interesting one. I got to admit, maybe two years ago I knew nothing about The Witcher until I played the video game, and it just introduced me to a whole new world of fantasy yeah. that is magical and Polish and amazing. <laughs> uh, so I guess maybe it might be best if we start with the story of the author and maybe a bit of the background of how it was made. Mm. Uh, feel free to jump in whenever, Josh, because... I was very nervous about this. I actually did some research before, folks. <laughs> Ain't that crazy? Me actually researching stuff we talk about. Well, this stops us from saying bullcrap, like yeah. stuff yeah. I said about yeah. Alice and the Dragon. <laughs> so, the author, Andrzej Sarkowski, was born in Lodz, Poland. It's spelt with L-O-D-Z, but my Polish friends happily corrected me at one point to say Lodz. So, there it is. His father fought in the Battle of, Ber of Berlin against the Nazis during World War II. And he is often credited as being the Polish J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien? Mm. Tolkien, <coughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right. Because I think what he's done is that he's put Poland on the map, especially with his Witcher books. And you, you do see that at times that you see like maybe an actor or a writer mm. or a sports star who produces... Well, a musician, like for example, Rihanna put the, I believe she's from the Bahamas, she put the Bahamas on the map, especially with her singing, but mm. I think to your point, like a lot of people got into like Polish lore, about the Polish mythology as well, and even just the learning about Polish history as well, based off the Witcher books. Yeah, you're right, I could see how they put, it put Poland on the map, but I... 
I think Rihanna might be from Barbados. That's but, what I was yeah. thinking. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? I reckon we're both wrong. I reckon she's from a third country. Can't even think about. Here's a weird one, actually. I read this online. Uh, Missy Elliott was mm. Rihanna's drill sergeant when she was in the army. Of uh, They're from the same country, but I can't remember what. But yeah, also don't quote me on that. I just remember oh, reading no. on the internet. You know, the internet. <laughs> but anyway, back to The Witcher. So, yeah, essentially, I feel like it, it did put Poland on the map. Because for me, a big thing about The Witcher is it, it breaks that Anglo-centric um, domination of yeah. the fantasy world. Cause yeah. Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> a British writer. Um, Aragon, is that a British writer as well? Yeah. British or American, but yeah, but it's still based off like oh, based off medieval Britain as well. Yeah, to your point. Yeah, and like, like you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, like like uh, Songs of Ice and Fire is still based and off American. the War of. It's written by an American author, but mm. it's still based off the War of the Roses. So it is still based off medieval England. That's a good point, actually. And like, and to your point, like if you think of like fantasy, you always think of like, does it tie into like? Um, Lord of the Rings is a tie-in with like King Arthur and all of that stuff, and when you think of it, you always think of people. I know, I know the TV series because everyone has like British accents in there. It makes yeah. it okay. makes it harder. But like when you play the games and you have actual people with like Polish, German, yeah. Norwegian, Irish accents, you actually start to feel that yeah, this is this isn't just like a fantasy world set in one place. This is a fantasy world set in Eastern Europe. And mm. set, and you can kind of tell by like the like the different names of the places, the based yeah. on their culture, the, the history, names, the, yeah, the names, the names as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that for me, that that adds a sort of a cool element to the mm. game. It makes it yeah. a bit more exotic and exciting. It's like going on holiday with a video game. Like for example, think of some of the names in The Witcher, Radovid. Yes. Um, yes. When they say Peter as well, it's like Piotr. Like it's a bit. It's just got a bit more of that flair in the way. They talk about food in the game as well. You can get, like, dumplings and stuff. Yes, yeah. Not that that's an important yeah. part of the game. Or, or the amount of vodka that's drunk yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah, in the books, the games, the TV series. Like, yeah. it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like, I just in the book, I'm reading it on the second book. Well, it's technically the third book, but the first Witcher book is just a compendium of, like, yeah, of short, short stories. stories. Yeah. Then the second one, The Last Wish, that's kind of like the first one that everyone suggests. And the one I'm on times of contempt mm-hmm. um really good no just drinking vodka in it what what mediums or media of the witcher have you come across the video game the book? funnily enough like i come across like all of them which is weird because oh, like nice at first i remember hearing about like the witcher game the 2007 one which was which was cd projects i believe it was their first game mm-hmm. and it was like if you look at it now even for the time, it was like a pretty backwards game. So like, what, I s- uh, The Witcher Three? No, 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 no. The first one, one the first oh, one right, in two thousand and seven. Right, okay. Yeah, and like the issue, you could see like it had taken things from other RPGs. So like, probably I would say the main one would be like Elder Scrolls, some of the older Elder Scrolls, and you could see that it was still like, like not up to the scratch of like the other RPGs at the time. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I never finished the first game because it's like. I played the first game in like 2010. So then, because it was already behind for 2007, then playing in 2010, it was way behind the times. Yeah. But then it was like just reading up on the universe. So, like, 
I then played the second game, Assassin of Kings, and then that really got me into The Witcher, mm-hmm. especially the the storyline that that, that that is in the game, the fact that you've got the twists and turns, the politics, you've got also the the magic involved as well, and then the when darkness I darkness as well, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely, and then and I think it's I think it takes an angle from like Game of Thrones, but also goes mm. further into saying that no, no, no. There are no like dark corners when it comes to The Witcher. It actually exposes you to, like, if someone is evil, they're not going to hide any parts of how evil they are. They will show you from like from like the worst worst thing you think this person can do. The just Witcher like, will just show like you. You and me, honestly, <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Picking up on that, mm. what I love about this is that moral quandary. This idea of evil. Like when I introduce this podcast, we're going to talk about. The inevitability of evil takers. One thing that's really appeals to me about The Witcher mm. is that moral quandary, this this idea of evil. So in in the last wish or in the TV show in the first episode of the first series, Geralt of Rivia has this quote: "Evil is evil, lesser, greater, middling. It's all the same. If I have to choose between one evil and another, then I prefer not to choose at all." And like for me, when I heard that. Um, in so I was playing The Witcher Three a long time ago at, mm-hmm. at uni, um, but then uh, watching watching the TV series in the first episode, hearing that quote, what a great quote! Because yeah. how often in the real world do we have to choose between the lesser of two evils? It's always a lesser of yeah, two evils. Yeah. Like look at politics, where people talk about yes, yes. like, oh god, both parties are the same. They're both corrupt liars. Just one's posh, one's not, and like. <laughs> It's yeah. always the lesser of two evils, and you know a lot of people say I'd rather not choose. It's kind of a reason for um, people ad- abstaining um, from voting because they yeah. just don't want to participate. And like even to your point, the fact that we then rationalise that picking a bad choice or an evil choice just because oh it's not as bad as the other. Yeah, we're but still that, to choose evil. But, but it's, it's like it's still a bad choice to pick. And I think to your point is that there might. Mu- did we look how many times do we actually look if there's another way or do we just automatically think okay i've got two choices or maybe three choices and this one will be the worst bad or the worst evil choice yeah so therefore i'll try and pick the the quote-unquote best choice out of the three but then do we actually and i think that's one of the things that the witcher brought on for me is that Mm. do we actually think further and take it another step and say no is there another way to do this? And I think that oh, in the video game certainly not. There's always one. <laughs> if only you could actually just choose in the video game just to exit the quest straight away, like no, for not making a decision. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, yeah. And I think, and I think that's kind of like Geralt's attitude. Mm. Like he he doesn't want to. At times he he has to, for example, his hands are forced concerning certain things. But then it, to him, and I think that's the main part of the of his character and also mm. his moral compass is that. I don't have to pick between two evils. I can find another solution. And, like, not to have any spoilers, like, remember um, when he's freeing uh, King... Uh, what's his name again? Foltest's daughter from the curse. King Foltest's daughter from the, the, the He's the king of... Oh, Tamaria. Was this in the books or the game? Um, it's in the first... It's, like, the prologue for the first game. It's in the books... It's one, I think it's one of the short stories, and it's also in the TV series. Remember when you had that that evil-looking monster, right? 
that literally they all look evil that that would that lived in a crypt and he had to literally lock the it out of its own tomb which was that the first series yeah first series ah uh, see the, i've got to admit the first series is a bit patchy <laughs> <laughs> the second series i did watch all of it i just thought it was a bit crap but um yeah like for that situation Geralt could have potentially killed the beast and been like you know what it might be a, a woman who's been cursed, but you know what? It's killing people. I'm just going to kill her. It's the lesser of two evils. Letting her live will then cause more people to die. But then he put himself in harm. Literally, like, some of the scars on his body you see in the later series is from that battle. numbers his works are heavily influenced by slavic mythology mm. which you really see in the, the well especially the video game but yeah. you know in the show to a lesser extent because the names of monsters and stuff they're they're spelt in a polish style like the vampires i think are spelt with dampiers i believe yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and uh, some of the some of the mythology net mythological names i've never heard of before maybe because I'm not familiar, but like a striga is that like a Polish word? I think it might be, yeah, yeah. But in Braxa as well, like I just never heard of these creatures before. But then I'm not really a, a mythology nerd. But anyway, there's so much influence from Slavic mythology, yeah, um, which again gives it such a unique flavour, doesn't it? Whilst because of the Anglo-dominated fantasy world, oh, there's always dragons, there's always orcs, there's always elves, etc. And I think, to like your point, the clever thing he did was that the human beings who live... So the main characters, so like the yeah. Northern Kingdoms and also the Nilfgaardians as well. And, and you've got Sintra as well and you've also got Rivia as well, which are in the middle. They have like a lot of lore from, based off Slavic countries. But then, oh, right, those, okay. but then those which are alien, like for example, um, the language for the elves is a I think a mixture of Welsh and also Gaelic I believe for the so he's basically saying that a lot of the influences from and even probably the Skellig as well Skellige is based off Vikings yeah, who invaded who invaded um the Gaelic regions of Scotland and also Ireland and then their cultures like merged together that's why they have like Gaelic Irish or Scottish accents in like the game. But that's but so interesting have... that Andre would choose that. Yeah. Because 
I mean, I'm sure the Vikings also pillaged Poland back in the day before it was a, uh, you know, Poland. I think he he wanted to do it because I think maybe he wanted to have something different. And I think the key thing that I do like about his works is that he has like anything that's traditional, like um, Anglo or Irish or Scottish or Welsh is seen as very foreign and everything that seemed to be human and to be the the nations within the within the world are set to be slavic yeah but i guess that that's why it's amazing because you're getting that perspective you yeah. know whilst i guess in the anglo fantasies they use like the opposite for you know the languages of the other peoples there's a lot of orientalist themes for like certain yeah. characters like the dothraki in Game of Thrones, but then imagine Game of Thrones was written from like a Dothraki perspective, you know, or one of the people yes, that the yeah, Dothraki yeah. were based off of. So, yeah, it's why this is quite a turn on for me, the uh, Witcher series. Not in that way. <laughs> Lol! So, as we basically touched on, they've been adapted into comics. It's been adapted into a film called The Hexer, which we'll touch on a bit later. And of course, video games, as we know. It's even been made into a rock opera in Russia. Wow. <laughs> like, what is an o- rock opera? Could maybe one of our viewers tell us, because that's crazy. Well, Star Wars is a space opera, yes, so yeah. I guess you could really just say anything is opera these days. Uh, so Andre wrote The Witcher on a whim, as he said, to enter into a sci-fi and fantasy contest for a Polish magazine called Fantastica in 1986. He came in third place, but received such widespread recognition and popularity in Poland. Kind of like with One Direction and X Factor. <laughs> Not yeah, even joking, yeah, they didn't yeah, even win. Yeah. But the the yeah. wanted one, but then One Direction were the ones who became more famous. Exactly. Yeah, that does happen, that does happen. Yeah, it's so crazy, isn't it? Um, you don't have to win a contest to yeah. be a win in the world. So... How do you think The Witcher made it onto the international stage, Josh? I think I would say the video games put it onto the international stage. Good, that th- is correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think like I I did watch like the because I was really really into The Witcher, especially waiting between Witcher two and Witcher three. Oh, yeah. So I did look up the Hexer, and because it had come up so long ago, and also I believe because it was also low budget as well that you could kind of see like they couldn't go full out into like the the cgi that you see in the tv series and the monsters and stuff yeah but i think like to your point the tv the movie the games are actually the thing that put it onto the map and i think it's the second game because the way that they made the second game they made it different to the first Mm -hmm. so one you could play it on like your Xbox 360 which is where I played it and I think they really worked on like the images and also the character design for the characters and the graphics as well yeah and the graphics was amazing so I think they really spent the time between the first and second game to catch up with other game studios and even overtake them for the second game and I I think the key thing for the second game was like the storyline I think one of the things that I'd always say about Witcher games is that the storylines are very good. The twists and turns, and also your choices do matter, and yeah. that the choices you make can actually change the ending that you receive at the end of the game. And I think that was one of the first games I actually saw that. Like I did see it, like I've mentioned on the podcast before, like Knights of the Old Republic, the old Star Wars games that you could 
based on your decisions, you could have two different endings. Yeah. But, like, you could have, in Witcher 2, I believe, four or five different endings based on the choices you made throughout the game. Yeah, because I I like it when they do that in these RPG series where, you know, it it imports your data over from the previous game and that affects everything. They kind of did that with Mass Effect, but it, (laughs) it... it was a bit hit and miss, like yeah. especially with the final Mass Effect as well. It's just like the only difference was at the end there was a different slightly, like for example, uh, they show Big Ben in London, and it's like if Big Ben's still standing, that means you achieved like uh, yeah, yeah. the best kind of ending. If if Big Ben's not standing, they yeah, just take yeah, yeah. edited it out. Yeah, the, the, the the, 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 I think that was a synthesis of one where you basically make humans and robots that's literally the same thing, which which was weird. And I think the issue with, like, to your point with the Mass Effect one mm. is that they built up all these choices and built up this whole franchise to just, I think, end it in a way that fans were just upset with. And yeah, I think we should definitely do an episode on Mass Effect because <laughs> I actually really like the last one, but I can see why yeah. people were disappointed. Like, up until the end, it's a very, very, very good game. Yeah, and, I think so. And I think the only another issue is also being off topic. The fact that they <laughs> when they, do we ever veer off topic? We never veer <laughs> off topic. <laughs> they kind of like force like the um, multiplayer element into it because you know you had the whole like galactic readiness yeah. and you had to then play online to get the maximum galactic readiness and you're like, but then you're like, what if I don't want to play online or yeah, if well, no I mean, one's available to play online when I want to play the game? Like yeah. I know that's true. That's true. I I quite like my solo games sometimes, so I could I could understand your point there. But yeah, so with The Witcher two and The mm. Witcher three, could you import data over? Did that have an yes. effect on Witcher three? Um, because I never finished Witcher one, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that one. But I know for definite you can transfer your data that's from Witcher one, wow. from Witcher two to Witcher three. But one thing that they do very clever in the beginning of both games is that a few spoilers here in the fir- in the second game Geralt is taken prisoner and he's being questioned by Roach basically a guy who isn't his horse yeah, he's, he's also called Roach <laughs> who's, who's basically say. a special forces for Temeria he basically he is he's in uh, Witcher 3 actually yeah. yeah he basically goes through and just basically in not interviews interrogates Geralt and there you can decide the decisions that Geralt made in the first game and in the se- in the third game, remember when you sit down with, when you go to Nilfgaard and you go to see the Emperor, oh, yeah, you have that guy who's his Minister of War who talks to you about, oh, what happened to Redania, what happened to, oh my days, at oh, Sodden. Oh, the guy who wants to marry Ciri. Yeah, so when he's talking to you and he's talking about like all the stuff that's happened in the past, that's when you kind of like, if you didn't import your data, you then could decide what took place. Oh well, yeah. I played The Witcher Three. I only played The Witcher Three, mm-hmm. and I did not even know that. I basically yeah, yeah. decided the past. And, and I moment. think that is a very clever way to do it because I know, going back off topic, that the Mass Effect, the way they did it, was like they had like this whole comic book thing at the beginning of like two and three that if you didn't play one, yeah. you then go through the comic and then you select which one you want. But I think The Witcher did it better because then it's literally a reason to be asked these questions. And like the guy was like, "Oh, so I know you were in, you were around Sodden." But they integrated. They've integrated into straight the into the game. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's more. Yeah, but more of a smoother feel rather yeah. than just fill in the blanks at the beginning. Here's a here's a like document. Fill in the blanks, and we'll, that's your past. Yeah. 
Fair, that's interesting. I'll, I'd have to give the second one a go, actually. Um, so just for clarity, um, CG Project Red made um, these games. In 2007 was the first one. Yeah. 2011 was Assassins and Kings The Witcher 2. And then Wild Hunt, as many people and many noobs, such as myself, played, that came out in 2015. <laughs> Josh, you've basically been trying to say the whole time that you you played it before it's cool. You're like a hipster <laughs> for playing the first one from the start. But it's kind of interesting because CJ CG Project Red. I I hadn't really heard of them before The Witcher, Polish games development company, um, literally made out of the blue and absolutely nailed it on yeah. the big stage amongst all these big companies like Act. Um, Activision, Bioware, EA, um, EA, yeah, 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 and I think, funnily enough, they were doing like this whole documentary to prepare for like Witcher Three, and because they grew up in Poland during the Cold War and they were developed during the Cold War, yeah, they they started off as a company that would literally um, pirate games, <laughs> because one of the funny things that the USSR did was that any media coming from like America there was no, like, copyright infringement at all. And, like, so literally, you could literally pirate a copy of, let's say, Mortal Kombat, put your own sticker on it, and start selling it out of a shop. Combat Mortal. <laughs> you, you could even have the exact same name, because because they really wanted to stick it to the oh, West. Yeah, you that you to. could literally be selling Mortal Kombat, and people could think, oh, this is a really good game, <laughs> and not realize that it's an actual uh, a game that's being developed in America. And that's how they started and ah, I think, crazy. and it's it is really crazy the fact that, and I would advise people to go to watch the documentary because it kind of shows like how they then were established as a as a studio, how they were then able to work, and I think one of the key things that they were able to do, especially with the first game, they were able to show that there was like a fan base for it. So then, when they came to the second game, they were able to then I think were able to get like the publishing and also like the financing for like I think it's. Namcoy Bandai, so you know the Japanese company, uh, yeah, yeah, and also Bandai. also Warner Brothers as well. Warner Brothers were a part of it as well, and they were oh, both right. So they got the big names in as yeah. well. And I think it was very clever. And the key thing for them was that they didn't sell anything. So only thing that I think Warner Brothers actually or Namcoy Bandai really helped with was maybe with like the publishing and maybe like the distribution as well. Because at times when you've got like these small studios who are trying to produce a game, they're like, oh yeah, so if we want to help you, you need to give us some of the rights to this. But they were able to to keep all of them. But yeah, they they use their network to basically yeah. distribute and get out there into the big world. Because I mean, I don't know how like a company, you know, I don't know how the games industry works. Maybe on the game segment where yeah. evil Lord Jeffrey, <laughs> um, we could discuss that a bit. So an interesting thing that I, I read up about this is, you know, the writer of The Witcher, Andre, um, essentially had very little to no involvement in the games. He sold the license just for a one, one-off price for a one-off sale to CG Project Red. This eventually sort of came back to haunt him um, because he didn't have access to any royalties. So mm. what's going to make you more money in the long term? So eventually, he actually sued CG, CD Project Red, and eventually, we, CD Project, even though he didn't really have a leg to stand on because he did do a one-off sale yeah. back when he, he, it was too early, um, CD Project Red caved in eventually and ha- reached a settlement because they wanted to stay on good terms with 
with yeah, the, the author, father yeah. of the source yeah, material. Yeah, and, and possibly the the fans as well. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't really want to upset the fans. The fans are like, wait a second, you're not you're not even you're not even giving the right props to the actual creator of the idea. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Like the gaming industry and nerd industry fans can be like, they're all over the internet talking yes, crap. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. bad publicity, you know. And you know there was a TV show called the uh, was it oh I thought I put that down as a film earlier whoops oh no so I've just misspelled there was a movie of The Witcher called The Hexer made in mm-hmm. two thousand two have you seen that I did look at clips online but yeah because it because it, it was it wasn't it was, I wouldn't say it was crap because from what I was reading the storyline is good but it's like when you know you have like those indie films yeah that that don't have the budget, but you know if they had the budget, it would make it a lot better. So the storyline was solid. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I've seen some movies that have, like, incredibly low budgets, but actually really good. But just quickly going off topic, I think I think they said the most successful low-budget film was, like, the Blair Witch Project. Really? Because, That's like, it was, it was, like, literally... I think it was, like, video cameras, like, no, like, proper film set. And I think they made like millions off it, and I think the way that they did it was it was the fear factor that they used, so that they didn't need this the, they didn't need the like camera angles, they didn't need the the settings what they did was that they used like cameras, but they just showed the fear factor, and that's what sold the film that's yeah that's kind of cool um because they started basically remember that whole thing with like horror movies about someone holding a camera yeah, yeah. like Cloverfield um, Blair Witch Project Paranormal Activity to extent they started a whole sort of genre yeah, of like yeah they did fear yes. through hold, you know it feels like you're playing a first person movie like a first person video game um, by the way we should also do some horror talk about some <laughs> horror genres we, uh, we have been reaching out to our fans to come on board as co-hosts and we have had some suggestions for The Fly and mm. um the thing as well oh. <laughs> we should definitely do maybe a overall episode on body horror that would be cool but let's talk about that later so anyway noodling our way back to the witcher and of course you know there was the netflix tv show with our lord and savior for the warhammer universe <laughs> henry cavill i love you henry you push the stop you put henry leaving actually hang on i'll talk about that so so netflix tv show came out in 2019 with Series 2 landing in 2022. Um, it was renewed for a third season, but unfortunately... Oh, actually, they've finished filming the third season, but Henry Cavill has now said he will not yep, participate yep. in The Witcher anymore. Because he's going to do a Warhammer show! <laughs> Woo! Literally, Games Workshop, who make Warhammer Death shares, shot up by like 15% when wow. he announced that. Because it just... Wow. This is the point where Warhammer 40,000, at least, becomes mainstream. So. Yeah, because like, I even know... Um, you know Vikings? You know the guy who plays Rolo in Vikings? Yes! He is in... He's playing a character in one of the 40k Warhammer games. Because I know they showed uh, really? it. Really? Was it yeah. Dark Tide? Maybe. I'm or? not. I'm not sure. It's not out yet. But they did show like clips of it, like at the video game awards, I think. Or they they did show clips of it, like 2020 in 2021. And I think I'll get Jeffrey to put it like in the description underneath the video. But yeah, it's like he's in it as well. Because I think if you've got him in a video game, you've got Henry Cavill going into a TV show it could really push the envelope when it comes to Warhammer. Because you've also got 
the the it might be the fantasy side of it, but you've got the total war games, which are also pushing the envelope. Yeah, that's true. I like that that got me involved with Warhammer because of the total war games, because I'm a big total war fan, and then just me seeing too. the games and like how they've improved each of the games has really got me into the Warhammer universe. Yeah, I can't, I'm going to buy Warhammer 3 Total War at the end of this month because I keep seeing on your Steam, it pops up. When <laughs> so many of my friends are playing it. Of course, I want to play with you as well at some point. Um, and we can talk about the gaming segment. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we keep you zigzagging here. We're zigzagging. Um, and, you know, he was great as the Witcher, Henry Cavill. Really, really uh, acted out well. Felt very natural for him to be the witch and yeah. he's a massive nerd so even better he loved the source material and he also loves Warhammer as well yeah and like even to your point um it kind of seems like for Henry Cavill it's like his two prominent roles fans are like no he shouldn't do it he, he doesn't look like the p- character we think he should be like first they're like no Superman should be American how dare you have a British actor <laughs> be Superman they then watch Man of Steel oh yeah Superman is really good actually he can play Superman and I remember like when he was casted as playing Geralt fans were like how can you cast him as Geralt he's too bulky to be Geralt he looks nothing like him he'll be terrible and then he then is Geralt and then fans are like oh my days he's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> Ah, nay, shame, shame to the non-believers. <laughs> so, you know, we've spoken a lot about background and the real-life stuff about The Witcher. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty lore. Let's, let's mm. get, take the gloves off. So, what is a Witcher? So, Witchers are taken in as children um, and they are subjected to alchemical processes, the consumption of mutagenic compounds and relentless and physical magical training to change them into dangerous and highly to make them very dangerous and highly versatile against mm. a vast array of opponents now there's so many different skills that they have some of their skills can be like having cat like eyes that give very cute night vision to Exceptionally increased strength, speed, reflexes, endurance, yeah. and the ability to tolerate poisons uh, that humans can't. And this is what they do. They take certain potions to basically upgrade themselves biologically to be able to fight monsters. Um, so, like, when he when you played a video game, you had to brew a potion first. You work yeah. out what monster you're fighting. Okay, I need this potion. You brew that, and then... It somehow helps you, basically. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I did like about the Witcher games is that didn't like or did no, they? did did oh, like did like that at times that you would have to do a combination of things to defeat a villain or to defeat a, a monster or to, to to go down a path of a storyline. Like I think one of them was you like for example when you're trying to kill like wraiths or ghosts within yeah. the, within the game, you actually have to create a Mario a magical barrier which then when they come in they then materialize and then you kill them within that barrier. Oh yeah, it was it And for and for me like odd sign or something? I come in what sign I'm not it was. Sure. It is I'm not sure which one it is, yeah. But but for me it's like my brother can attest to this. When it comes to video games, I generally don't read. I just press through, press through, press through, press through and then try it out. So then there's this mission in in um, the second Witcher game where yeah. you have to fight these ghosts. And then because I skipped through everything, didn't look at what I actually needed to do, which is put them in a barrier and then make them materialize and then kill them, 
Garrett will just kept on getting killed over and over and over and over again. And yeah. I was like, what the hell is wrong with this game? And I was like, is is this turning into into Dark Souls type of game? And then I actually had to like check online. I was like, I feel that's so stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I can I can be like that with games as well, like Leroy Jenkins your way in, like just charging yes. <laughs> in and button bashing. Uh, the Witch, I feel like you need to know a lot of background. And there's certain parts of the Witch game that I really love. But there's bits I just couldn't be bothered with, like um, what's that game, that card game they play at all? Gwent. The I really yeah, love yeah. Gwent. <laughs> uh, I'm just never bothered with mini games unless it, I have to do a mini game to progress the mm. story. All the other stuff, like the dice rolling in The Witcher, you could play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, this is so cool, but I am just, I just want to play the story. Like, I want to play the actual. <laughs> I didn't buy, spend forty nine pounds on a game just to play a dice game in it, like. <laughs> Come on. At least, thankfully, it wasn't a paid add-on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it was EA, you have to pay extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, the, the, the... cheating the, dice. The Gwent, the Gwent pack. The Gwent expansion <laughs> yeah. pack. Look at my Gwent card. They've got special skins on them. Yeah. Oh, God, that's oh. ridiculous. And, you know, it's it's cool. You know, the story of the witches really appeals to me because it sounds pretty horrible. They're just kids taken from a young age and just taken by mages like uh, the story is that as uh, basically the history of witches shall we say as humans settled in the north part of the continent which we'll go into more detail mm. in a bit they had to deal with a vast array of monsters that inhabited the land and which humans were poorly equipped to deal with to fix this the northern rulers tasked their mages to create magic wielding warriors to deal with the monsters for them as a result the mages carried out experiments at Risberg, where the hell that is, and the first witcher was created. Unfortunately, the witchers proved to have limited magical potential and were thus deemed failures and banished from the castle. So then begins the first age of witches. So the mages essentially took these banished witchers yeah. uh, with them and then continued to change them, train them in a special castle called Morgreg, which sounds like a castle named after me. So... This establishes the orders, order of the witches. The first five original witches then begin to set out on their task of hunting monsters. The, and eventually, at the end of this age, the order of the witches falls apart violently due to infighting. The second era, the second era of witches, or referred to as the golden age of witches, um, begins when the six schools of the witches are built. Each creates their own witches. So I presume this is where. Geralt, the yeah, well, I, the, <coughs> yeah, the school of the wolf. Yes, well, there's so many other ones. Cat, bear, I think owl or eagle. But I know that there's wolf, there's cat, oh, viper, viper. So I think Wait. the ones in the game that I remember is like bear, cat, viper. But I've forgotten the the other ones. I know what school you belong to. You belong to the school of the vipers. Cause you're a <laughs> snake. Damn. <laughs> and so. Uh, within this second era of witches, the past tensions are, that tore the original order apart calmed down. There's a lot of camaraderie between the witches. Um, and many monsters are hunted down. Mm. But then the end of the Golden Age comes, and this is in the 1160s. I didn't even know there was a an actual calendar in the witcher world, so maybe we could talk about that a bit later. But by the mid-1160s, the witches had been too successful monsters grew increasingly rare and due to propaganda from the churches of the north and a distrust of the rulers, witches became the monsters in most of the population's eyes. 
they were hunted down and were attacked by various people and pogroms, which eventually diminished the witches' numbers greatly. So it's it's kind of interesting because you know racism yeah. uh, and social Darwinism really plays a lot in this. Which you know again, just like J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings, you know Andre is really caught onto this as well. Um, the way elves are treated, the way humans, are, or sorry, the way the way witches are treated. Yeah. Um, and some, uh, what they called subhumans, so like dwarves. Um, dwarves, gnomes, yeah. halflings as well. You've also got, uh, what are they called again, doppelgangers are also uh, yeah. a, a part of that group as well. And to your point, it's like, I think that, and that's where the Witcher, the, whether it's the books, the TV series or the game comes in, that society is starting to realise, do we actually need witches? Do we actually need yeah. mages? Because they've done, basically, they've created a world where they've been able to kill off, as you said, most of the monsters that scare people. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like similar to like the, the X-Men, like, when the X-Men are like helping society and saving the world, they're like, oh yes, the X-Men, we love mutants. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. until, until like, there's nothing to fight, they're like, oh yeah, you're mutants, we don't like you again. And you kind of see that like in The Witcher that they... They like them because they need them, but when they no longer need them, it's like, yeah, go back to your your holes and and keep away from us civilized, us normal folk. Exactly. And like the weird thing is, you do and you have seen that like in history where you've got, for example, you can even point to like America where you've got like the Native Americans who helped the the people who came to the Americas to settle in, yeah. and then you even got, for example the different groups, the different tribes who, for example, who sided with the United States to gain their freedom, but then after the United States got their freedom, basically walked all over them. And yeah. you kind of see that, like, in in the in the Witcher series. Because, like, Witchers have actually played a key and pivotal role in the expansion of humanity within the, the world where the Witcher is in. Yeah. But it always comes down to, and it kind of reminds me of the message in... The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, when they're like, "Oh yeah, we no longer need Commissioner Gordon because he's a he's a commissioner for war, and, and we're now at peace, peace so we no longer there. need him." Ah, uh, we need to do yeah. that episode on The Dark Knight as well at some point. And it's and it's like that you see that so many times. Like you even see with like soldiers, like soldiers go out if throughout history go out, they basically fight for their kingdom, then come back and they're like, "Yeah, we no longer really need your services." You even see it nowadays, in which is uh, which is really sad that they come back and they're like, oh yeah, well, you, thank you for your service, but we no longer need need you, so we we'll move over to the side. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and it's it's difficult because as well because, like with the with the witches, you know, when yeah. there's less monsters, they're less useful. So what is their purpose in life? How could they fit in on the rest of society? If society is yeah. going to treat them that way. Um, yeah, very clear like, undertones of like racism, yeah. also how people fit into society. In a second book I'm reading right now, uh, a city Yennefer and Syria have come to, the any subhumans have to pay a certain tax. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's quite <coughs> the t they pay so many taxes that this dwarf who runs a bank um, thinks that uh, does an accurate guesstimation that they provide basically fund the war against the elves like the humans war against yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. scoia'tael who are hiding in the woods uh it's just crazy 
thinking that that basically they're yeah. using subhumans to fight subhumans and in these cities the dwarfs are subject to pogroms as well as yeah, elves yeah. and everyone gnomes else gnomes and other non-humans and, and that special tax reminds me a lot of like in Nazi Germany yeah. what, what happened with the Nuremberg laws um, so you see a lot of probably what Andre uh, grew up with yeah or heard, heard with his father so tell him yeah, what his, his father, father told yeah. him and also the history that he's learned mm. like to your point like throughout history you could point to like Jewish communities in Europe who've had to pay extra Special taxes tax, because yeah. they're because they were Jewish and like I think if you like going into like the whole history of like the elves like I was reading up the history before the episode which is weird because the history like the starting of the world and the history of the world in the witch universe is kind of similar to like most of the universes like you've got like the original people who were kind of like animal like so like in elder scrolls you've got you know those lizard people you've got those cat looking yeah, people yeah yeah that's some like, it's weird characters. that you did actually have like like lizard people in the witcher universe they and then dryads and i think some other group of people they lived on that world and then the dwarves came. And no, gnomes were the gnomes were also there. The dwarves Let's then not forget about the gnomes. The dwarves then came, and then the dwarves and gnomes would then live together, mostly in harmony, because they were little people. <laughs> and also, like the gnomes were like people who liked commerce, and then the gnome and the dwarves like industry. So they were able to then work with each other, because then one would like make the wares, the other one would sell it. They would sell it to each other. They would barter uh -huh. with each other. Then like. On sh the elves then came, and then when the elves came, because I think maybe because they had magic, so I, I think similar to like most universes, dwarves don't have magic in The Witcher. I think. Oh really? Okay. Because like in a lot of universes, that. like you don't see anyone who's an elf use magic. Rings, I don't really see. In yeah. Lord of the Rings either. There's no. I don't really. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, one of our gazillions of viewers, but uh, yeah, I don't think that dwarves do yeah and i yeah, think that's true it's like a common theme like dwarves can't use magic maybe because they're too sturdy so then when the elves come they then build large cities they take over basically the whole continent but then linking into what you were saying about the monsters which i really love about the world is that the unique way that he's brought the world and how monsters got into the world is that he calls it like the conjunction of spheres uh, yeah yeah that that two worlds basically in parallel universes then at some point in time they cross each other and that allows people to jump from one of these worlds to the other and that's how humans came but then also that's where is that where uh, the wild hunt come from yeah the wild hunt come from another world which i believe is the world that the elves come from so that's why in the game if you think about it the wild hunt do kind of look elvish yeah a little bit but they but they're a lot taller and they seem a lot stronger as well so it could be that a group of elves came from that world that they were from to the world of the Witcher, and then the others just chose to stay where they were before. And like, so when the monsters came, so so did the human beings came. Mm -hmm. And then when the human beings came, they basically, because they, as normally, humans br have children faster and breed faster. And we completely destroy them. Like, yeah. We, we, dominate the land and turn it so they basically they basically whoop the out uh, the elves like you remember from witcher season one that literally a city that humans are living in was a city built up by elves yes it's sintra was is it sintra I think, yes sintra is one of the places yeah. yeah yeah and like the the sad thing is is that uh, to your point 
a lot of the elves were either have to force to go into the forest where they some of them became Squirtel or became like the poor Which, by the way I love that Squirtel translates to squirrel it's so <laughs> unintimidating but yeah and like and I think the humans called them that because they were they would be in the trees and then be shooting them from also the trees. They, they attach like squirrel tails yes, yeah, to, the to the back, back of their hats or something. And then, and then it, then the the elves and the dwarves who then have to live with humanity have to then adapt to the way that they live. Like for example, the dwarves are technically tolerated just because of like they, their industrialism, their banking skills, the banking yeah. skills, the forging as well. And I think also because they are also long-lived, so some of them go as mercenaries as well because of their stockiness and also their strength. Yeah. But then, unfortunately for the elves, it seems like they get the short straw and the short end of the stick. Yeah, they're the ones that are most picked on yeah. in human society. And yeah. it's, a, it's a human world that these other races live in you know they have to live in human towns which are run by humans so yeah. they're always at the mercy of the humans um so again it's a lot like how a lot of minorities are treated in different countries and you know for example how jewish people were treated yeah, in yeah. a lot of uh, europe at the time so again you can see andre's influence coming from that medieval history yes, there, yeah. from the real world yeah, and just quickly, sure. another thing that The Witcher always picks up on, which I was speaking to like my history teacher because I was remember I played the first game and I was still at school. Yeah. So technically I was playing at the wrong age, but <laughs> but, but no one really cares right now. <laughs> Damn. That I was just like, do were people back then mistrustful of people that they didn't know? And he said, yeah, like in the medieval times, because of like, and even earlier, like Dark Ages, because of. The constant raids because of the constant uncertainty that towns would sometimes invade each other. And like even like the feudal system was basically based on if you had enough might and you had a claim to someone's land, you could literally come yeah. and take come yeah. and take their land as long as you have a claim and then the king agrees. And the king will also sometimes just agree or the duke or the baron would agree just to like appease a vassal. And then, so you could have times where people would get raided by bandits, raided by rival armies. So there was a huge distrust, especially like in small villages and towns, of anyone who wasn't from the town. Because they could think, are you a spy? Are yeah. you a bandit? Are you someone who's going to steal from us? And it's, so not, then, it's not a very globalized world yeah. back then. Yeah. Unless and then, you know, bought, like borders with other language speakers. But then you just wouldn't trust them because war. And then that's kind of like, even before they know, like, Geralt's a Witcher, you see it in the video games, they're like, like, who, who are you, what are you doing here, type thing, is was very common, because they're like, if, for example, someone comes to your village you don't know, you they apprehens apprehensively think this person's a threat, because technically, if he's not a merchant, he's not a part of the clergy, then what is the what's interesting about so interesting he's about our time? He's a traveling salesman. He's a traveling salesman, there, and that's the thing. Like the traveling salesmen, clergy, or or maybe like merchants were the only ones. Oh no! Oh no! Looks like we might have to have a little bit of a pause, there, ladies and gentlemen. We have a fire alarm. Whoa! No, Josh, nice clothing change, yeah. yeah. You too, you too, Morgan. Yeah, I know, I don't know how we did that in a split <laughs> second. Not, well, I mean, if our audience are just audio only and aren't watching the videos, then they would never have known. Maybe we should have just been quiet. But yeah. anyway, 
back to the Witcher, a fire alarm didn't just go off, and that didn't just interrupt <laughs> that video, and we didn't just record this a couple of months later wearing different clothes. But anyway, back to the Witcher. So, what do you think about the future of the Witcher? And this involves the games, the TV show, the books. What do you think? I think it is it is a bright future, like on the gaming side, because they have taken in like a in a different direction to the actual the books itself. And I think they are trying to get incorporated more with the author as well. Because like oh, the companies, as we mentioned yeah. earlier, like CD Projekt Red, they got backlash for like from Cyberpunk. So now they're like, we became famous because of The Witcher. We need to go back to our base to refine ourselves and also reassert to our fans that we make good video games. So they've announced like they're remaking the first game. They are making, cool. I think they're making like an online Witcher th- uh, possibly I believe and they've got like two other Witcher projects so people are like is it going to be maybe further down the line with a new Witcher mm-hmm. is it going to be like Geralt is it going to be Siri? but I think it does bring in like how expand the uni- the world could be because we do yeah. go to several places like we go to Toussaint yeah I love that place Toussaint we go to like um, the first two games are mostly in oh, Northern Kingdoms? The Northern Kingdoms. Yeah. It'd be good to see Nilfgaard, actually. Yes. Yeah, actually, that would be amazing as well. Cool expansion, yeah. Yeah. Because... The Islands as well. I mean, yeah. I guess you do go or even, like, Redania, because we don't actually go to Redania at all. Because they invade, like, they invade, um... I keep on forgetting the kingdoms. Tamaria. Tamaria. They've invaded Tamaria, and they basically, both armies meet in the middle. So, like, you've got the Nilfgaardian army who have basically sweeped through the south yeah. and are heading up to the north. And then you've got the Redanians who've come from the north who've swept down and they're both basically waiting for the for the combat to re-engage and restart. And mm-hmm. for those who have played the games, you then can decide what is the future of the, of the northern kingdoms. That option for, yeah, cause you, like, yeah. what's that place, Novigrad? Like, depending yes. who you... Who you side with, yeah, yeah. yeah. They take yeah. over... I like from reading the books as well. I just love that whole, the whole progress of the war and stuff. Like talking about Tamaria and Redania ganging up, like teaming up to do a big counter attack against Nilfgaard, but Nilfgaard's yeah. just unstoppable. Like they're just picking off all the kingdoms. Yeah, and I think it's like the other kingdoms don't know how to do espionage at all. It's like the fact that you see in the game, oh, and I think Deistra, also the books, Deistra. like like Deistra, uh, yes, yes, Redania, yeah, my bad. But then, like, the other northern kingdoms, like, like, Henselt, what is his kingdom? Tamaria, yeah. and the Eden, yeah, that's it, Eden as well. They they basically are like, oh, um, we've now defeated Nilfgaard, we are now um, at war with each other again, and now we've invited um, ambassadors from Nilfgaard to, to, to come over to the north and, and to engage and help us defeat our, our, our fellow northern kingdoms. And you're like, don't you think that this could potentially backfire, which it then does in the second game, where you find out that Nilfgaard basically paid like a group of um, witches who turned them into like assassins and kill like the kings of the Northern Kingdoms. Oh, wow! Yeah, crazy. I did not know that. And that's what that's what leads to the, and then that's what leads to the war because they've caused like a huge destabilization within like the Northern Kingdoms, and like the fact that. Why didn't anyone think about doing that to to the Emperor of Nilfgaard? Like, just just take him out, kill him. That's true. I guess it. I guess because it's kind of like the kingdoms of the north are all like separate kingdoms with their own yeah. self-interest. Yes, yeah. And it's difficult to like 
unite against a common enemy without self-interest getting away. And from what I've read in the books, it's like some of the Northern Kingdoms, like, we just can't, like, we're closer to Nilfgaard. We can't stand up against them. Your armies yeah. aren't. The other Northern Kingdom armies aren't with us yet. They're just protecting their own ground. So yeah. we're just going to side with Nilfgaard and become a, a new territory of um But going back to sort of, like, the future of the Witcher, because I know the mm. TV show is coming up some point in this year. Let's see. The Witcher Series 3. What do you think of, is it Liam Hensworth? Who's Liam, replacing, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Our gods, um, Henry <coughs> What do you think? I'm, I'm not too sure, because, like, like, you know how uh, his brother Chris Hemsworth kind of has, like, a British accent when he plays Thor? But then yeah. you, you, you're like, okay, it's a it's superhero movie. Him, it's a superhero movie, and Thor really isn't British either. So if it's not the best accent, you can kind of get away with it. But it's like, can Liam Hensworth do an actual British accent? Where's The Witcher? It'd be like... But the funny thing is, The Witcher is, the Witcher is a Polish book, and you're like... Why does Geralt have to have a British accent? But then you're like, because like because of like the English audience, you can't yeah. have an American accent because then that kind of like breaks it. Because you're like, why would he have an American accent? Be especially because he, there was no American accent during the medieval period. I would but, have appreciated. Mm. Um, I mean, I know it'd be hard to do, but I would have loved an actual fancy in a different language like Polish. Just. Mm. Uh, have that for variety sakes. So it kind of ex adds to the exoticism. Like even reading the book, I'm reading the book in English. Mm. And stuff. The way they talk about foods that are like very much Eastern European. Yeah, England. with British accents. Yeah, 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 yeah. and they're just like they should just put this yeah. in Polish. Like, yeah, and like what they could do is like oh, to signify Geralt is different. He keeps like kind of like in the game. They kind of have it like people from Skellige have that kind of like Viking, Viking Nordic, Nordic vibes, yeah. vibes and also have like like you know the Irish accent so like mm -hmm. you know when you because um, you know the Skellige is based off like the Irish Viking settlers who settled into like yeah. into Ireland so you have that vibe and then you also have like vibe. <laughs> you also have like it's weird because then some of the troops have British accents like for Tamaria but then also some of the people have like other accents like when you go around the city like, no and speak Australian to people accents, you know? to your point no american no australian accents and like when you speak to many people of different quests you some of them have british accents some of them have like eastern european accents yeah yeah it which does one. add like a and like it does add which is also weird like when you go to Toussaint people in Toussaint have and the accent yeah, but then point. but then the the duchess doesn't really have that strong so of an accent yeah right? but it's so not it doesn't yeah. really match with the people of Toussaint yeah because I remember I had a, a Belgian flatmate who um, he spoke French and he's like I was talking to him about the Witcher and the, the DLC in mm. Toussaint and he's like so many places like Corvo Bianco that she means like white white something you know it's like very obviously Italian and very obviously French. You can see that influence. Mm. Whilst it's a bit confusing in the normal, the Northern Kingdoms, because it's basically Eastern European yes. culture, yeah. like Polish culture, Slavic culture, the food, the drinks. They always talk about drinking vodka in it. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah. Which, you know, it, I love it, because it's different, uh, say, when you hear Game of Thrones, because it, it's very much themed on British culture, English yeah. culture, unless you're talking about the peoples the, from Essos and yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, it's good. It's making me hungry thinking about all this stuff. I want a dumpling. I want some <laughs> pidogi. 
right now. So, not feeling too good about the future of the TV show. I, I will give him a benefit of the doubt. Just be- But the thing is, is that because they went away from the books, it kind of gets rid of, like, and also from the games, it kind of makes me feel like, okay, then they've lost the benefit of the doubt. Like, mm. if it goes wrongly, I think they could lose, and they might gain an audience, but then lose the audience they currently have. And, like, especially with people knowing, like, with the third season coming out, it's going to have Henry Cavill in it, but then that's his last season. It kind of has some fans thinking, like, do I really need to see the third season? To If you're just going to replace him? And then it's also going to be really weird for fans, like, okay, you finished and had a climax at the end of, like, season season three if you're coming with season four are you going to pick up straight off from the story and you have someone who looks completely different <laughs> the australian witch you know, <laughs> vampire problem <laughs> yeah that would be interesting um oh there was something i was going to say up to that ilk uh, oh yeah that was it did you watch the witcher blood origin on netflix it's like a spin-off show i started watching it but i didn't finish it no yeah, I mean, my brother watched and he said it was absolutely crap. That is what I heard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what did, did yeah. you think it was crap? Like, the first bit I was watching, I was like, well, they do have interesting actors in it. But then, I think, like, one of the issues that I kind of have with The Witcher is that it kind of feels like, like, you can't really get the setting. So the, the acting is good, the monsters is good. But you don't really the get this. But for the TV show, but you don't really get the setting that this is in Eastern Europe. Like right, apart from like the, but like apart from like the names of the places and the names of the people. Yeah. It still kind of feels like it's in it's in based in like a like a fantasy version of England. That's a shame. They've really taken what I think makes The Witcher special because I love the game because the mm-hmm. game, although it's in English. You know, the names, the culture was kind of then Just the, the folklore, like the monsters, some of them I yeah. heard of. Like yeah. the way they spell vampire as well. I was like, why are they spelling vampire? And I was like, oh, wait, that's how they spell vampire. And in yeah. that part of the way that Andre Zukowski's from. Um, yeah, and like even like some of the NPCs had Eastern European accents or had yeah. like... Um, well, Nelfgaard sounded sort of Germanic, really. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, from the book, that's probably the impression I get. The way their names are structured as well. Like and also the the colouring of their clothes. So, like, mm. Redania is definitely Poland because of the, the white red, yeah. and red of Poland. Red is a Polish, yeah. well, kind of a Polish name. And the fact it's called Redania as well. Yeah. And, like, Nilfgaard, and it's an also em- it's definitely the Holy Roman Empire because it's an empire, and the Holy Roman Empire was emblemed in gold and black. That was... Oh, really? so, so that's what it is, and it's like... And then you also see that the fact that you don't really know what Edirn is and also the other places but you kind of do see like the the Holy Roman Empire especially in their clothing in the video game especially it's like, more it came across as more like Tudor clothing like yeah, yeah, yeah. and puffy well for Nilkard anyway that's the sort of impression I got of the clothing mixed with like medieval knights or yeah. clothing kind of like a, a hybrid between the two that's what I felt. I, I did find it interesting as well, like, they use modern terms to describe stuff in it, like warfare. So for example, Tamaria has special forces. Yeah, 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 yeah. the head yeah, of the Danian spe- intelligence. Yeah, yes, yes, Man, yes. In the medieval times, and like, yeah, it's just like <laughs> spy master. Or yes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, men who have 
uh, they're sort in war. They're not. Or, or the or vanguard or something like that. Yeah, you wouldn't have these like modern phrases for warfare and government, which you know I find kind of interesting. But I feel it's a little bit out of place. The only criticism I've got of the books and um, therefore the video game as well, just these words seem too modern for. I think it's also the translation. I think yeah, could be the issue yeah, because it's translated it is, from Polish yeah. into English. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, fair point. It could be like a translation thing. Quick question from me: What do you want? Because from you know that they're remaking the the first game from the two other games. What do you want from from the Witcher universe? What do you want it to be about? What do you want the setting to be? I'd like to see more stuff to do with the elves. Um, mm. and the dwarfs to an extent as well because I think the whole story of the elves is quite interesting it's such a fresh spin compared to Lord of the Rings where you know, the elves are just another race they're just dying out whilst in this they're dying out but it's because of humans like humans have had a direct yeah, impact yeah. humans hate elves it's like racism in it basically towards elves and you see that so much more in the books and you feel sorry for the elves I would like to see more of them I know you do see them in a TV show and stuff, but in the video games, I'd love to expand on that a bit more. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. you know, it, there's like elven lands you can be in a lot more because I know they're kind of like in reservations, and then they enter into an alliance with Nilfgaard to basically refound Sintra as like yeah. the elven kingdom that it once was. I would like to see that. Yeah. What about you? I would say like more like law based, like you know the conjunction of the spheres. Yeah. Like. If you could do like a game on how the witches were established, that would be like amazing. Like, because I remember watching playing like, funny enough, like Dragon Age, uh, the game takes from many different things. It takes stuff from The Witcher, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, but like they like fully explain like what happens in the game, which is basically that there's basically zombie type darkspawn that are going to take over the world and then yeah. to prevent that from happening they then created grey wardens using the the zombies blood to then well, well darkspawn blood to then stop them from doing so so kind of similar to how they made and created witches to kill monsters to keep people safe like if they could do something with that because like it is an important part like the conjunction of the spheres is a major incident within the whole Witcher yeah, universe. Yeah, so many monsters, and like, yeah, there's a di as you said, there's a difference between the normal monsters and then the sphere conjunction monsters. Yes, yeah. yeah, and like if they could like base more on like the lore as well. I think hopefully one game which is away from the Witcher, and like maybe no, look look at the universe. yeah, and even like maybe look at the continent on a wider scale. Yeah, it'd be cool if you get to play as one of the monsters. <laughs> like uh, a ghoul, just a ghoul, like just yeah. feasting on flesh on the back of it. That's all you do. <laughs> kind of like that, that game about the cat stray, but you're just like, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be cool, actually. Or you play as Siri, or mm. maybe even, as you say, away from the witches, like something in Nilfgaard, that'd be a good way to expand. Yeah, the and then maybe like go on like, because one thing I do like about the author is that he can write intrigue very well. Like, what yeah, if you play that. as a Nilfgaardian agent? Like, that or would Dijkstra. be... Or, yeah. yeah, or Dijkstra, yeah. 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 A Redanian agent under Dijkstra, or the rise of Dijkstra. That would actually be very, very, actually very cool Get video yeah. game. He's a cool character, just reading about him in a book. He's so sly and always yeah. screaming for info. Yes. Yeah, it is cool. I think that's all we've got time for today. I mean, well, I mean, we actually do have more time, but <laughs> because of the fire alarm <laughs> thing, you know... Our conversation about the witch was just too damn hot. I too know, damn I hot. Know, we still have to fight. They had to shut it down. Yeah, they tried to <laughs> shut us down, but they couldn't stop us. 
Oh my god. That's right, folks. That's right. Well, lovely audience. It's been great <laughs> having you here. I know it's been a bit strange and we're wearing <laughs> funny clothes. But we can explain. We teleported. We're witches. No, yes. not. We're mages. Whatever. <laughs> but thank you so much for watching. You know, we are getting more popular than I thought. This is taking off more than I thought. And I'm so happy. Josh, thank you so much just for being here with me for this, bro. And then thank you, Morgan, as well. I think it's... I think one of the things I do like about the podcast is that it isn't just it's not work it's actually a hobby something that we both enjoy and being able to talk about the stuff that we love for, for hours on end yeah. and if, if not for the, 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 the time slots and also the money spent on the time slots we would talk we could talk about The Witcher or other things for hours on end <laughs> non-stop it's such a good setting though, and having people come on board like members yes. of our fan base or audience or friends and family coming on it's so it's just a great passion to share to have them on yes. board and It'd be great to have Jeffrey on and some more of our audience as well. You know, we've Definitely, got yeah. other things on the cards. We've got Warhammer we want to do. We want to do some stuff to do with the new Dune movie that will be coming out eventually. Uh, what else do we have on board? Oh, good. So potentially looking into like Lord of the Rings themselves as well, yeah. separate from the Rings of Power. That'd be good. And then talk about something that you don't like, The Hobbit, that you hate with a passion. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't hate it with a passion. I just thought it was garbage. <laughs> similar feelings, I guess. Uh, yeah. And then, as, as we probably mentioned, other episodes like with Star Trek and stuff. Yeah, that'd be and good. And then maybe also one of the things that we did mention, like also uh, Barbie as well. That that's coming out maybe as a we, April Fools is has passed yeah but potentially as a as a joke episode to talk about that and also we could even do like like myths and legends because you were just talking about remember it's yeah. about about monsters we could do like one on dracula one on frankenstein one on the mummy or even have like a whole episode where we just talk about it because i think if you think about like some of these stories behind these things are amazing yeah that's true and like history we love talking about history yes, you yes. might have noticed that yes, yes. we like to digress we are, we are maesters we, we, we must have a history element there yeah exactly <laughs> we are learned man <laughs> are we not but yeah if you love our videos then uh, click the notification button so you can find out when our next one's coming on or click the subscribe button to get that mm. instantly sent to you I feel like they do the same the notification <laughs> yes they do yeah. but subscribe would be nicer yeah and if you've got a bit of, you know, spare cash you want to jingle around, we would love that, you know. It costs us to book these studios, and we would love to try and expand, you know, have more people on, run mm -hmm. more podcast shows, really make Two Maces and something big, and our overlord, Jeffrey, uh, the Pick Up The Mic Network, watch their videos too, you know, that expands a bit out into academia and professionalism. Whilst we just stick to the nerdy stuff. Yes, yeah, the good stuff. The good stuff, exactly. <laughs> well, that's all, folks. Thank you very much, and we will see you soon. See you, folks. Bye-bye.